It's time for the Believer, Unbeliever, and In-Betweener podcast. Join in on the conversation as three friends discuss socially relevant topics in view of biblical truth, where scripture meets skepticism. Welcome your hosts, Stephanie, Michelle, and Cheryl. Hello, everyone. We are going to kick today's episode off by just going around and introducing ourselves again. So I am Stephanie Stanton. I am the believer of the group. I am Cheryl Corot, the unbeliever. And I am Michelle Chup, the in-betweener. Great. Well, today is one of my favorite topics in the world. We're going to talk about narcissism and codependency. We were originally going to discuss these two topics on individual podcasts, but we're going to do something different today and address the dance that these two types of people do so dysfunctionally well together. Um, These are just so two deeply enmeshed people. They basically suffer from the same core wounds, probably why they gravitate towards each other. And yet they display their wounds and act on them in two entirely opposite different ways, which is what makes them so fascinating. And that's why we're going to talk about them together today. So we'll talk about narcissism, various types, various traits that we see in them. And we'll talk about codependency and are there any types of codependency and what their traits look like and even the common misconceptions that get codependence into trouble. Mm-hmm. And of course, we can't end our talk without talking about what can be done about it to see what healthy relationships look like and some thoughts and behaviors that can be practiced to protect ourselves when we find ourselves stuck in these places. Mm-hmm. So um, sound fascinating, everybody? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. A- excellent. Yeah. So are you going to explain to us the different, like what codependency is and what narcissism is, the definitions, so that we could see if we could relate? Yeah, well, I want to start also by sharing with the audience how I got here and then we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll kind of get to everybody but I was, I was just always drawn to this dynamic because of my own parents, my, my father is highly narcissistic and my mother, my mother is highly codependent. And um, so I was always dealing with that, even though I didn't know what I couldn't identify what I was dealing with. And eventually I went on to gain a master's in forensic psychology, where I interviewed criminal sociopaths and psychopaths all the time and was not that my parents were that, (laughs) I'm just (laughs) saying I was drawn to the the disordered mind, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. And I was tasked with getting to the bottom of their thinking and their motives and their agendas. And I've been fascinated with it my whole life. And Hmm. heck, I've probably dated a bunch of these people too, because that's all I knew. <laughs> but, yeah. um, sadly, I'm an, in, I'm a codependent myself. So, mm-hmm. so um, but yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I would think most of us kind of fall, you know, healthy is probably the, the exception and the rule is probably most of us falling to one end or another. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Um, <laughs> I had a very similar parental structure growing up. My father very narcissistic. So, you know, when you look at who in the family has the most power and how are they, so my dad and our family have the most power and he was narcissistic. My mom was codependent. Um, That created in myself and even my brother codependency. So that was something um, I also had to grow through and learn through. And 
uh, like Cheryl said, uh, growing up until we really get to a point in our life where we face uh, our brokenness, uh, we face challenges that we have, uh, we're probably going to be in some form of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know for me, uh, one of the big things that I had to learn was assertiveness and boundary setting. Um, yes. I know, I know when you guys met me, like Cheryl, when you met me and Michelle, when you met me, I had already done a lot of work. <laughs> so you, you don't know who I used to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really started my healing journey freshman year in college, I would say, what is that like 18, 19 years old. So um, that's when I really started introspecting and doing a lot of inner healing. And I was really bad, (laughs) really bad at assertiveness, really bad at setting boundaries. And I had all the common, you know, beliefs uh, that we'll probably get into that codependents have, you know, oh, I can't ask for that because then, you know, they'll think I'm mean. Or, mm-hmm. oh, I can't, I can't say that because then I'll be too selfish. Um, and those were beliefs well, that any misconceptions go dependent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I had those two and had to grow in self-love and realize that um, it, it's, it's my responsibility to know what I need and to ask for what I need and that there's nothing selfish about that. And it was really interesting. Not, not to get off too much of a tangent, but as I started to practice a lot of the stuff that um, I was learning, I distinctly remember people going, oh, you're selfish. Oh, you, you know, and all the things that I was afraid of, people mm-hmm. started to say to me mm-hmm. as I as I began to grow healthier. And that's something I think people need to be aware of, too, is that when you when you tend to be codependent, People like you to be codependent because they could, they could get a lot from you. And oftentimes codependents fall into enabling, you know, like, and I know I definitely did that. Um, and so when you start to say no, <laughs> and when you start to say, uh, that's not going to work for me, people don't like that. They don't like that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I know that I got a huge, I got so much kickback when I started to grow healthier. So that's just some that's normal right that's normal in the healing journey um and it's probably especially hard for a codependent to go through that because they think you know that these people are right I am being selfish because they can't even discern it for themselves that it's not yeah you know what I mean and and real quick just to share one more thing um the other thing that I learned was you know with people who develop more codependently. So, you know, we, we give into the shame where a narcissist compensates for their shame. And one of the ways that a codependent will do that is in childhood, you know, there's like three different categories they can fall into, right? They could become uh, the helper. um, They can become the invisible child uh, or they can become the comedian, right? Trying to lighten the mood. And for, and for me, I, I became the helper, you know, I was always helping my mom, trying to help her through, uh, the challenges that she had. And it was almost like I became the rescuer, uh, the the helper. And that's how I got my value. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, so I comp, so I gave into my shame by becoming 
the, the they call it the um, the helper or the uh, what's the other word for it? I, I I'll think of it. I forgot what the other word is, but you basically where you go in and you get your value by trying to help others. And I think that um, even the work I do now as a counselor, I got really good at solving problems uh, because that's how I coped in my family. And, you know, as a counselor, I have to always remain very vigilant to have boundaries with my clients, you know, because it's very easy to just fall back into some of these patterns. You have to, you have to, um, as you grow healthier, always, uh, staying vigilant in those things, right? Cheryl, you, you get what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's constant management because it's not, it's not who you were and what you knew how to, how you learned to cope, for, you know, through, throughout your childhood. So it's, as an adult, it's constant management to reinforce those, those boundaries and you know, the, the responsibility that who, who's, you know, that, that separateness, that's, you know, that your individual people so hard to do. It's like a daily practice. Can somebody be all three? Cause I, I, I can identify with being a helper, the invisible child and the comedian. I kind of, I kind of do all three, oh, sure. but mostly I definitely find myself um, getting my value. Yeah. When I do help somebody um, like now as an adult and even, even as a child, I would do something to help somebody, but, and I would feel, I would feel good, but mostly as a child, I was invisible. Like I, I totally like, just, you were probably more the invisible child. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I definitely can relate to that for sure. Um, but now I'm saying now as an adult, it's like, I definitely like to help people more. And I just feel because it, it, it does, I want them to like me, you know, so it's like, I, I do things. Um, yeah, because I, I need that. I need for them to be okay with me in order for me to be okay with me. That's what I, I've learned. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad that there's hope. I mean, it's great that you did it. You started this journey when you were younger, when you were 19 and where you are now, you know, it it took many years, I'm sure, but gosh, it's like, I feel like I'm (laughs) so, I'm, oh, oh, I'm getting older and I'm still struggling. It's like, I'm still, (laughs) we're still treading water. (laughs) I'm still treading water. It's awful. It's like, I, I, it's so interesting too. And I, and I was like, I was sitting here, I'm going, this is why I'm the in-betweener. Cause it's like, I, I'm, I, am I a narcissist or am I codependent? But it, you're right. It's the same wound. So there are times where I feel like I, it's about me and I get upset if it's not about me. And so there's, there's that, but then there's that codependent part where I can't live without my husband or his, you know, his moods and, ha- you know, I kind of like tiptoe around people and I have no boundaries. I don't know how to do that yet, you know, and it's because I, I, I believe all everything that you said, I don't want to hurt the feelings. I don't want them to think I'm selfish. I don't want, you know, so there's all, I still, I deal with that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's hard. I don't know if it gets harder as you get older. I don't know, but um, I mean, at least, you know, more- it's funny because uh, just earlier I was thinking about the treading water uh, kind of analogy and what makes it so strange, the, the, suf- the suffering codependents go through. 
but almost in a voluntary way. Um, but think about when you jump into an ocean and you don't know how to swim, right? It's this immediate instinct to, you know, start flailing around and try to keep your head above the water. It, you'll do that instinctually. And that is so much easier than spending months or years learning how to swim, learning techniques, making decisions, making strategies. So do you, do you know what I mean? Jumping in and, and practically drowning is almost an easier option. And I or think that's what codependents do because they, they don't learn how to, they always have difficulty making decisions, mm-hmm. identifying their feelings, communicating clearly all of that is so hard that it's just easier to kind of drown for me i say it's right? funny that the analogy you're using I, I i wouldn't want to drown i think for me i i learned how to float so you just kind of just give up and you just float oh that's even better right oh, yeah, yeah that, that's exactly kind of, what I guess, I, I guess i'm stuck out here so let yeah, me yeah that's it i'm just gonna float yeah exactly yeah i mean to respond cheryl to what you were saying my understanding of it is that because at the root system, there's shame, mm-hmm. you know, um, how much, like, how do we view ourselves and how are we getting our value? And I think um, people who come from families where there was a, a narcissistic parent, Cheryl, like you and I did. And me, my father it, too. And you too, Michelle, right? Oh, yeah. With your dad. Um, oh yeah it's, we get, we get really good at shoving our voice down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as we get older, it, it's having to rediscover that voice and, and then to honor that voice. So it's, it's kind of like my understanding of it. it it's like two steps. And, and sometimes if, if that voice got so muffled, mm-hmm. it could be hard for people to hear themselves again, right. To hear like, what am I feeling right now? And what do I need right now? That just that might be yep. really difficult for yeah. someone because that's exactly for me. That's exactly. exactly. Yeah. Because wow. as a child, you, you, you've taught yourself or we all have to some degree taught ourselves that our needs are important because we have to honor the needs of the narcissist because the needs of the narcissist will always in the family come first. Mm-hmm, so, right. so then you get so used to that knee jerk reaction of, well, because no one, no one in a family dynamic like that is taking care of our needs, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So it's like, you can't, you can't say, here's what I need, because then it just gets ignored or diminished or yelled at. You get, yeah, I got yelled at. Yeah. My dad or yelled was, at. Yeah. At a young, very young age, children were to be seen, not heard. And that's what we were taught as a, as a young child. And even like laughing or having a good time, we got yelled at, you know? So it was like, we were taught. Not that I, you know, I taught myself to, to stuff it. I was taught to stuff it. <laughs> you know? well, there you go. So yeah. now as an adult, most people start coming into like this time in their life of self uh, reparenting in their 40s and 50s. That's the mm. typical age that most people will start going, Something, something's off with me. <laughs> I really got to look at this ain't working (laughs) yeah like it's usually 40s or 50s so think about that the average Mm -hmm. person lives almost half of their life dysfunctionally right and then and then 
you know, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be like, oh, okay, well, now that I know I have to pay attention to my feelings and my needs, oh, okay, well, then it'll just happen. <laughs> like, right. I remember even in my 30s, and, and look, this is how we'll mask it, right? In my 30s, I used to call it, you, you know, we, we, again, we prided ourselves on not having needs or, or not addressing our needs, but not having them, right? And, and I used to mask that by calling it, I'm low maintenance. Uh, I'm easy, right? Like I'm easy going, you know, everything, everything works for me. And as if that was like some hot trait that people would be gravitate, you know, that healthy people would gravitate towards, right? Um, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not a bitch. I'm not demanding. I'm not this, that. Why, why wouldn't guys love that about me? Right. But what happens is being low maintenance really meant I don't have needs, you know, so we could just focus on yours. I mean, that's really what ended up happening. <laughs> Great point, Cheryl. Yeah. 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 The other thing too, I don't think I said it before was that I think when we don't first address the shame, then all the, all that other stuff is really difficult to do because until we address the shame and until we start to value who we are for who we are, not for what we do. Then when we have to pay attention to how we feel and when we have to pay attention to what we need, and then we have to go that extra step and ask for it, that all of that stuff is going to be really difficult. If in the background underneath all of that, we're thinking deep, deep down, I don't deserve it. Uh, No one really loves me. Uh, I don't really have any value or worth like that Mm. has to get addressed first. Mm. How do you address that? Codependent has to earn So whereas the narcissist just deserves things by their mere existence, the codependent has to work hard to get it. That's the only way they feel they're entitled to something. A codependent can feel entitled just like a narcissist. The difference Mm -hmm. is the narcissist is entitled just by standing in the room and the codependent is entitled after they have completely worked hard, depleted themselves overextended themselves and then they're like hey now I deserve this thing Mm, okay so I'm not an art I'm definitely a codependent (laughs) I'm definitely not a little of both yeah well yeah because let let me let me set the let let me set the bar straight here anyone who asks themselves am I really the narc right that person is the codependent oh yeah interesting because narcissists would not ask that question Yeah. So what Cheryl's describing there is the narcissist is going to compensate for their shame. They're going to comp, they're going to overcompensate for the fact that they really don't feel that they're worthy and, and, and loved and all of that. So they overcompensate by creating this grandiose persona and the, and the codependent goes the opposite way. They give into it and they go, you know what? Yeah, I'm not worthy. Uh, you know, I don't deserve it. Uh, and so they're, they're in this subservient like position in their mind. And, but like we've said already, you know, it, it's coming from that same wound. That's they, they're both dealing with shame, mm-hmm. both coming from complex trauma and. Both feel abandoned, both feel rejected. There you go. There you go. Both, yep. Both are wondering when they're going to be loved or what they have to do to get, to gain love. 
Mm. Right. And of course we all, you know, we, we all to one degree or another go through this, but I mean, the, narcissists and codependents do this on a, on an extreme level. Right. So how, how do you, how do you heal from that? Like, what is the, what is the, I know you said it's not a magic, you know, pill or, or something that happens overnight, but what is, where do you start? Like, what is, what do you but, have to do? Let me ask you this, Michelle. Yeah. When you look at, when you look at yourself in the mirror, do you look directly in your eyes or do you look above oh. your eyes or at your chin? Yeah. Above, ab- around. I don't really look at my eyes at all. I okay. look around me. People who are still operating with some level of shame cannot and usually will not look at themselves directly in the eye when they look at themselves in the mirror. Mm. Wow. Interesting. And it's hard to look at yourself directly in the eye and say, and mean it. Mm-hmm. I love you. I love you. I love you to yourself. looking at yourself in the eye. Wow. Can you do that? Like, that's a really good test for all of us. Mm. Um, can we do that? And sometimes with my clients, I'll have them put the, like, just walk away from the computer, go to a mirror. And can you do that? And I've had clients break out in tears, just Mm. crash in tears. Mm -hmm. And then I've had clients laugh. Like it's so uncomfortable. That that would be me. I think I would laugh. Yeah. I, I would be awkward. I would feel, I would feel shame. <laughs> I would feel. That's it. it. Yeah. That, that's it. And and you know, right? Because I mean, I, I could say in my life, I, I've had periods where, yeah, I could absolutely look at myself in the mirror and feel great about myself. And then there were, there was a period of my life where I actually could not look at myself in the eye. And when that happens, I know there's something deep down I'm not dealing with. Like that the that I'm ashamed of something, I'm ashamed, and I've got to deal with it. So um I mean I know that that that's true because I've experienced that myself too, where there were periods of time in my life where I was like, yeah, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. I'm just disgusted mm-hmm. with myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so if if, if someone or let's say Michelle, like you said, yeah, I can't do that. Okay. Well then right there, that tells you, okay, what do I really believe about me? The, the real deep down me, me do, you know, what do you really believe about yourself? Like, do, do you really, I'm disgusted. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> I, did, I just tried, I, I literally just tried it with my phone. I looked at myself looked in the eye and I kind of mouthed, I love you. And I was like, like disgusting. Like that's exactly what, what okay, I thought. Michelle. Wow. Disgusted with myself. That's it. Which still makes you feel like you don't count. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. As, as Stephanie said, a, a codependent can never function in a healthy way. If they're always going to think that other people are more wow. important, other so people's cool. needs are Oh my you know, meant to be met, but theirs aren't. So true. I, I and I'm struggling with this. Re- this is like really enlightening me because I didn't know that's. What I am. I, I have to admit, I'm codependent because when I go to these meetings, like I, I started going to like CR and things like that because of hurts, hangups, and habits and stuff. And people are always like saying I'm a codependent. Not me in general. People say that they are, and I'm always like, what does that mean? But I tell you, when I'm sitting around the table or it's just sitting there and time to share. If you want to share, I always feel like I don't belong there. Why am I there? They're, they had their needs are more important than my needs. I shouldn't be here. I do that the whole time I'm there just feeling like I don't belong. 
Well, we wow. should talk a little bit about what codependency means because maybe some of huh. our audience doesn't even know right. what it is. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's, um, it's just, I, I guess the best way to describe it is it, it's very others focused. Mm. Okay, the codependent is the giver, the enabler, the one who has to work hard for approval. They have no, they have no self-esteem. That's a big one. Um, they're sacrificial, you know, I'll put myself in an uncomfortable situation in order to make you comfortable. Hmm. They, they never feel good enough, right? That's why they're always kind of the hamster on the wheel. Like, Mm -hmm. what else can I do? What else can I do? The constant doer. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and they're also extreme. I mean, just, again, just like a narcissist, um, everything's kind of all or nothing. Right. And, what I like to say about codependence is tag on to the end of any sentence, tag on at all costs. And that's what a codependent does. They'll, you know, I need to save this relationship at all costs. Right. So there is no line. There is no limit. There is nothing they wouldn't do. There is no time they would stop. Hmm. Um, it just, it just has to go by their, by their narrative. Mm -hmm. Wow. There was a question I had. Which is another similar trait codependents and narcissists share is that magical thinking, that fantasy world they live in that, Mm. you know, this is how the world works when it's, when that's not the reality. Are they black and white thinkers too? Yep. I've I've been told I was, I'm a black and white thinker and it's very true. It's all or not. It's like you said, all or nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are we saying? Always. You always do that. Yeah, you always. never, ever Yeah, do that. you never. I'm always saying always or never. Huh. Wow. All right, so Michelle, right? Think about what you shared just now mm-hmm. that you're disgusted with yourself. Yeah. Okay, so now when it comes time for you to assert yourself and, and set boundaries for yourself and ask others for what you need, how are you going to do that when deep down, Right. You are disgusted with yourself and there's a level of self-loathing there. Mm-hmm. How, how are others to love you and give you what you need when you don't love you and give you what you need? That's a good question. I don't know. What's the answer? <laughs> give me the answer. Well, what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that the more you start to love yourself, and, and that doesn't mean like go to the spa. I mean, yes, that's, <laughs> that, that could be nice, but Darn it. Self, self-love uh, in, involves or includes what we were saying earlier, like how able are you to tune into how you're feeling in, in any given situation without suppressing your, your feelings or diminishing them or mocking within your own mind, how you feel about something or your own thought and how in tune are you with your needs in any given moment without diminishing them and pushing those down and saying, ah, you know, forget it. You know, let, let me just, let me diminish my need in favor of another's need because then they'll, they'll like me. They'll love mm-hmm, me. They won't mm-hmm. reject me. Right. Exactly. You know, it's like, the, as you heal that and grow in that, and this is true for all of us, right? This is the work. This is part of the work is can't, how good are we at honoring that voice in, in ourselves and, and, and not squashing it or or ignoring it. That's, that's why a lot of codependents will burn out because like Cheryl was saying, they do, 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 do 
because they're performing for love. And, and when a person gets on that hamster wheel and they ignore what they need, I mean, that's like an easy recipe for burnout. Yeah. And it, it adds to their sort of depression that, um, you know, no one else, you know, no one loves me or no one cares about me and oh, everyone else around me is selfish. Well, that happens because you give so much. It's really you that is offering more than you have. That's it. And then you're saying, why won't people do the same thing for me? Yes. Holy moly. Exactly. Wow. And really the answer is not the other people aren't giving themselves to death to you, for you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you are overgiving. It's not, it's not them. I mean, yes, they're overtaking, but people will take if you give, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the one who needs to learn what your limit is and learn your boundary mm-hmm. so that you're not giving so much to the point where there's nothing a person could do back that would ever match how much you do. So they'll right. always look like they don't do enough. Right. 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 So true. It's, it's like expecting other people to, to love that part of you that you're not able to love mm-hmm. when it's really like, it's our responsibility to love those parts of us first. And then we give out in relationship. We give out from a place of abundance, not from a place of lack. So when we're giving in relationships from a place of lack, like I don't have self-love, but I'm going to try to give to others out of a sense of lack and then expect them to like love me. That makes no sense. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Right. Very true. Hmm. And it's so, it's so interesting that, well, you know, the good news when you look at these two types of people okay codependency is learned it is learned whereas narcissism is actually fall it actually falls under a personality disorder that you're born with and and that's why narcissism is in the dsm-5 and codependency is not because codependency is sort of a sort of a unique i mean there is um dependent disorder in the dsm but it's not Codependency is a little bit more unique and learned. It's a learned behavior in your childhood that you can undo. You can unlearn, which is fantastic. Whereas a narcissist, you know, that's who they are. And you're not going to change that. They don't want to change it because life works out pretty darn well for them. So, you know, that's if you have narcissists around you, it's really your job to either stay fully away or at least arm's length away to protect yourself because that part isn't changing, but you can as a codependent. Yeah. The, the thought that came up as you were speaking was um, that a lot of times as uh, we heal codependency or recover from that way of relating in relationships, there will come times when standing up for what we need and, and and being assertive could mean confronting the fear of being alone or confronting the fear of 
being abandoned, right? Like you said, Cheryl, earlier, like that is a underlying root fear for a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, with this is fear of being abandoned or rejected mm-hmm. or abandoned. And um, I know there have been times in my life where I had to confront that and say, you know what, what is more important? I, you know, I had to have like a sit down with myself and say, is it more important to honor myself uh, and practice self-love here? Even if it means I lose that person, or even if it means I lose that job, or even if it means I lose, you know, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is something I would say, uh, if, if we're really doing the work, that's going to be something that at some point we're going to confront as we, as we grow healthier, because people want to keep us in the, in the place that we've been. And so they may threaten us and say, well, if you, if you do that or say that, then I'm out of here. Okay. There's the door. Right. Like, and I see that in a lot of the work that I do with my clients too, is as they grow healthier and let's say they're in a situation with a narcissist, or maybe it's not, not a narcissist they're with, but where that person is threatening them. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever had a situation yeah. like that. I have relate to that. I can relate with my dad. I mean, my dad was a, such a bully. He's so, so narcissist where he like would threaten, like threaten physical harm, you know? And it's like, it, it kept me from doing a lot of things or, you know, yeah. And remember like, as a child, you had no choices. In, no, you know, but even as an adult, I, I'm still, I still, he's, he would still, I'm still afraid of my father. Like I still feel like he, I'm so programmed. It's like, I'm afraid that to like even say anything to him, if I want to even just, just, yeah, in general, just anything. It's, I, it's, I, I tip, I walk on eggshells and that's, yeah, that's, you have to, cause you don't know what's going to set them off. And yeah. it, you know, it's to the point where it's like, you, you, you can never show emotion. I mean, I told you that story. Stephanie knows the story when I was a kid, I, you know, I was crying. I was, I was, I was crying my, at the kitchen table and my dad was like, stop crying. And he's yelling at me to stop crying. So now I cry more. Well, he got so angry. He like picked me up by my neck and pinned me against the wall. Tell me to stop crying. It's like, so here I am, a kid, I think I was like 10, you know, and it's like being yelled at to stop crying. And, uh, and I did, I had to stop crying because otherwise you, I don't know what would happen. You had my, you know, by the neck finally released me and everything, but still it's like, so I've grown up with a lot of, um, like physical threats and, uh, verbal threats, you know, yeah. like you do that, I'll break your legs. And I'm like, okay. You know, like I wouldn't do it because I was afraid I was, he was gonna break my legs. Like I, I believed every threat he ever, um, said I believe them and um, and that's to keep you in line and and with narcissists people one of the best ways I like to explain how they view people is people are appliances people are things to be used for gain people are supply you know what can you supply the narcissist with you're only as good as what you can offer Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to be kept in line because you will be discarded if you don't provide or do as you're told. And that instills fear in the other person 
because they know that's what will happen. They know the other person will walk out with not even a second thought mm -hmm. or, you know, kick them out without, <laughs> without a second thought. And you want to do everything, you know, you want to tap dance as hard as you can to, mm -hmm. you know, to keep your, your status. Yeah. And that dance just, it just goes, it just works. And that's, that's why codependents and narcissists spend a lot of time together, actually, because you, you know, you've got one that needs their needs met, only their needs matter. And then you've got the other that is only going to make sure that those needs are met. So it works. It's just that the codependent doesn't realize that they're slowly dying as they're doing that. Yeah, but it works until it doesn't. Yeah. And the narcissist needs full control. And, that, and that's why narcissistic fathers will tend to kind of have a much worse relationship with their children when the children reach adulthood, because as children, they could control everything. But once the children become adult and can make up their own minds and make their own choices and, you know, walk out of the room if they want to, to the narcissist, that's just unacceptable. And they, they can't relate well to people that they can't control. Mm -hmm. And that's why if you get into relationships with them, they'll, they could, there could be financial abuse. They could do things where they control the money. So this way you couldn't leave, even if you wanted to, mm -hmm. they make, they kind of set it up so that you're always there. Mm -hmm. So, and Cheryl, do you think, uh, I'm sorry, Michelle, I just want to ask Cheryl a question. So it's my understanding that because a narcissist and a codependent are dealing with similar root issues that when the narcissist says, well, that's it, I'm out of here, that nine out of 10 times, they're not going to go anywhere. That because aren't, aren't they equally fearful of abandonment and rejection? So that, so their own dysfunction keeps them there. Well, it's more about, for them, it's more about supply. So they're never going to let go of easy supply. Um, they might leave and not come back for a few weeks or something. Like they have no problem with, you know, silent treatment and ignoring you and stuff like that. But they're, they're always going to circle back around, which is what we call hoovering, because they're never going to let go of easy supply. If you're always, and the codependent is always, you know, re you know ready and waiting right? Why isn't he calling me? Why isn't this happening? What, you know, what, what else can I do to make him pick me? Right. Mm. <laughs> Codependent likes the pick me dance. And the narcissist kind of goes about their merry way because they know they're, they have the power. Mm. So no, they don't want to be abandoned. I mean, they will definitely, if the, if the codependent, and that's what makes, makes it dangerous or difficult for the codependent, because if they ever do get up the energy to walk away from this partnership, um, the narcissist will pull them back in and, and, and it confuses the codependent. It's like, wait, they don't even care about me. Why did, why are they trying to get me back and win me over again? Well, because they want you lined up. That's all. And they do this with, plenty of other people so that they always have supply in different areas. And if you're not available, they can go to somebody else. Again, they, I, I like to use the uh, fuel tank analogy. They narcissists will keep their fuel tank full at all times, 
right? That's their fear is up at that level where the tank has to always be full. So I'll make sure these five people are lined up, ready to help me or serve me. Whereas the codependent ignores their tank. They're so busy, you know, giving fuel to everybody else Mm -hmm. and making sure everyone else is okay. And they don't really look at their own tank until it's empty. I'd like to share something that I know was really helpful for me in my journey to recover from some codependent tendencies that I had. And that was learning how to say no. And for me, (laughs) you know, because when I was younger, I tended to be very shy, (laughs) believe it or not. And I didn't really have my voice or my my, uh, language developed. So in other words, I was quiet most of the time. I didn't feel comfortable speaking really at all. I was very shy and I had a tendency to say yes to everything. And I remember when I was younger, people would say to me things like, oh, you know, Stephanie, people just take advantage of you. And I was like, no, they don't. Because I never, I, I just didn't see it. I, I didn't see it. I didn't see how I was being codependent, really. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was in college, I was working on a cancer documentary. And we were interviewing Bernie Siegel, who... Uh, is a very well-known cancer surgeon, and he's an author of a lot of books. And what he said when we were interviewing him was one of the profiles of the patients, the cancer patients that he does surgery on, is that most of them cannot say no. They have a really hard time saying no. And that really hit me hard. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I don't want to get cancer. So... I started thinking, where in my life do I need to start saying no more often? And that's what really tuned me in. It was that event. And so from that point forward, I started asking myself, you know, Stephanie, how are you feeling right now about this? And what do you really need right now? And the more I started to develop that, I began to realize that there were a lot of things that I was saying yes to that I really didn't want to say yes to. (laughs) And... Mm. I think Bernie Siegel, like saying that planted a seed for me. And it, it was enough to give me permission to say no in my life without feeling guilty. Hmm. So I just wanted wow. to share that with you guys, because I know that was huge. When I started to learn how to get comfortable saying no, it really changed a lot for me. Hmm. Well, I need to learn to do that. That's for sure. Because I'm, I'm still stuck in that where I, first of all, I was very shy also as a kid, very, very insecure. And I didn't say, I mean, I, I was afraid to say no, because I, I want to be a people pleaser. I want people to like me. I, you know, I don't want to hurt the feelings. And I was just, just all, all those feelings. And I will say, you know, it makes a lot of sense that cancer documentary that you learned because I wound up with breast cancer this year. So, well, last year, you know, and I'm wondering if it's because I, I, you know, I keep things in, I, I, um, don't say no. And then I wind up getting angry, but at myself, you know, like I wind up holding a lot of resentment because I'm doing something I don't want to do. It's like, I don't want to do it, but I I just can't say no. So I just do it and I don't want to do it. So I'm wondering if that played a part in me getting sick, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so much, 
there's so much stress involved in mm -hmm. saying yes to everybody because now you're like basically trying to juggle, you know, 10 balls in the air and, and like, you're just panicking that you're going to drop one mm. because you said yes to 10 different people. Right. And you know, well, you know what, what ends up happening anyway is, you know, you, you, you can actually start to ruin relationships like that because when you say yes to 10 people, you're, you're probably going to disappoint nine of them because you can't do all those things that you said yes to. I take on everybody's problems for some reason. It's like, their problem becomes my problem. Why? Why am I helping this person look for things? You know, it's like, yeah. if I, and also I'm learning, I have to start, I have really, I haven't done this yet, but no is a complete sentence. I'm learning yeah. that, but I, but I haven't learned to say it yet, but it's very interesting how I, I I'm, I'm just training myself. I keep saying no is a complete sentence, but I, I know I'm probably going to say, I'm so sorry, but I can't, or, you know, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> like, I wish I could. Can you just say no period? You know what I mean? Steph, so, sometimes you, I, I think sometimes what I wouldn't, you know, a neighbor asking you a favor, you probably wouldn't say no and hang up. You would and hang up. Right. Exactly. What I found worked for me was using the phrase, I'm sorry, I'm not available right now, mm. or I'm not available that day, or I'm not available, or I don't have the resources to offer you that. Right. Mm. So I, and I always like the word available. I'm just not available. I'm not available emotionally. I'm not available financially. Yeah, I'm not that available. Means so many things. Yeah. If you're saying yes to 20 people yeah. and you can only give them 5% of yourself and it's, and it's like so much effort. Mm. If you learn to say no to the things that you really don't want to do, mm. then you will have the availability to say yes to the things you've do want to help people with, and you will be fully present for those things right. because you're not smeared thin. That's right. With, you know, 20 other yeses that you don't want to do. Mm. Think of it give that from abundant, give from a place of abundance, right. not from a place of lack. That's yeah. the, that's the key. Mm. It's totally mm -hmm. fine to help someone. Right. If you're, if, if you have it to give, it becomes codependent if you don't really have it to give, but you feel bad and guilty and all the shame comes up. Yeah, that's what I feel. That's and it. You know I feel what? that. Nobody so. wants help from someone who's like, I don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. Like nobody wants help from that person because mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you want to, Yeah. you know, what percentage of the population do you think is narcissistic? That's a good question. Mm. Um, I'll say, uh, let's take a stab. <laughs> I'll say 40, 40%. What do you think? I that? would say that's a good guess, Michelle. I would want to believe that more people are codependent than narcissistic, but mm -hmm. that, that could be wrong. But um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with 40%. I, I, I probably would, would agree with that. Hmm. Wow. That's huge. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you know, if you, um, that's a lot of people, man. I wouldn't even want to go outside if it was 40%. <laughs> What's the percentage? Did I aim high? <laughs> no, I, um, it's, it's interesting to me because if you look up studies or at least that have been done in the past, most of the numbers linger around two to 5%. Oh, wow. But what's interesting about that is that the, the, the place that number comes from is people who have been diagnosed. So that, that would be the number of people diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And 
And <laughs> narcissists don't go to doctors or therapists to find this out. So mm, while right. two to five percent have been diagnosed, that would probably mean a good, you know, 20 to 30 percent are still out there just running around undiagnosed, but they are indeed narcissistic. Hmm. I always thought that was interesting because that is interesting. You know, how in the world, you know, a narc rarely ever gets diagnosed. There's nothing wrong with them, you know, according to themselves. So they wouldn't be going to the doctor to find out what's wrong and how to change because mm -hmm. life is working out perfectly for them. Mm -hmm. So they're not interested in change. The codependents are the ones that are in pain, that want to change, that want to go get help because mm -hmm. they can't keep living in this hell. In fact, they always say narcissism is one of the one of the only disorders where the people around them go get help, hmm. but not them. That makes sense. What we have found, I don't know, Cheryl, if you found this to be true too, probably, but we have found that having them accept the responsibility for their choices is the hard, they just, it's like impossible for them to do that. Yeah. They don't think it's their their ownership to do so right it's like the sense of entitlement right and isn't that a trait of yeah. narcissism it's like entitlement like you owe me like like what's the big deal like this is something i i'm owed so it's your job to provide it yeah it's very much like i'm gracing you with my presence so therefore you should do things i need like it's that entitlement really is just a, I'm in the room. So now it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's the strangest thing to watch, you know, hmm. it is absolutely the strangest thing to watch. Wow. And it does make the, the people around them jump. It does because, and that's how the codependent starts to develop because the narcissist yeah. can't hear no. They no is not in their vocabulary. So when you say no, it's it's not no. So then you, it's like as a codependent. I, I know in my family, me, my mom, my brother, we all struggled with saying no because you couldn't say no. Like it wasn't an mm -hmm. option. No is not an option. Oh, I so, know. You get those. You get those death stares they call them i think you know oh, the threats. it's not you even an them. option yeah you can't say no right michelle and threats too to control the yep. situation yep. Mm -hmm. wow so is is being narcissistic i think i asked this um before but is it first of all is it like is it a part of a mental illness or is it something that can be uh, cured if they realize it or is it is it way beyond like a person could because yeah, you're, no, you're saying yeah it's a personality disorder personality, so it, it okay. is embedded in who they are and okay who they are so so is it is it so it's not curable like is it can they could try right if they really i don't know can they i mean sure they could work at it but the the point is they don't want to work at it because right. they don't they're not experiencing any problems right okay unless the person they leaves they them they can't see why it's a problem because but if yeah. I mean, think about it. If you always got the, the longer end of the stick, every, you know, if, if every time you were, what's that, you know, the, the chicken Sorry. bone, the wishbone, right? Yeah. If you always got the, the wishbone part, 
why in the world would you want to go to the doctor and find out ways to not get the wishbone part? Right. Like you, you're in the right position. You know, if you're rich and the other person's poor, why would you want to go find out and work towards not being as rich? You're the winner. So you want to stay the winner. Right. Do they, do they experience love though? That's the thing too. Cause it's like, if a person is so narcissistic and let's say they're in a relationship and the person that they love, you know, uh, hopefully they love that person leaves them, get strong enough to leave. Then would that motivate a narcissist? You know what I mean? Like if, if, if do they have love, do they experience, or is it because they lack love? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, well, the the narcissist truly lacks empathy. Empathy. And I mean this in the sense that you can open up their brain and and the empathy piece is not there. So they don't, like I said in the, uh, like I said earlier, um, they see people as appliances, as Mm. things, you know, extensions of, of themselves. Um, things to, you know, are extra arms and extra legs to get, to get things acquired or done. Mm. So, and, and that's why if you, if you leave a narcissist, they don't look at it like, oh, what did I do wrong? And how can Mm. I improve myself to get them back? They look at it more like, how dare you? you? You have no right to not be useful to me. Now they might pretend to change or, you know, promise to change or say things to win you back, then that's what's called hoovering, right? They'll come back around and they'll act nice to to draw Mm -hmm. you back in, Mm -hmm. but they don't see it any other way than how do I get, because think about it, this person Mm -hmm. was doing everything, right? The codependent Mm -hmm. is investing heavily. The codependent is giving and giving and giving and helping and enabling and doing Mm -hmm. who wants to give that up right like who wants to give up a person that it like almost like a think of it as having a personal slave if that personal slave walked out Mm -hmm. that would suck right yeah how do i get that personal slave to come back and do everything for me again They don't see, they don't see them as a human being, like on equal footing. Mm -hmm. They see them as an asset. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And which even makes reasoning with them incredibly impossible because they're, they're, they're right. Like they, they don't reason the way like a healthy person reasons. And it's, it's like, it's like spinning circles there's just no rhyme or reason and it (laughs) right and it always comes back to them how are you going to fix my problem um yeah because only their needs matter right Mm. and so codependency and narcissism are these extremes of only one person's need matters the codependent thinks it's the other person's need that matters and the narcissist thinks it's their own need that that's that matters and that's why it makes a great relationship of course the codependent suffers but they're getting their the codependent is getting their need met by serving Mm -hmm. because that's what they want to be doing or at least they're conditioned to do yeah so it's which is why saying no for a codependent Mm -hmm. yeah which is why saying no 
for, for, you know, for like us, right. Has been tough because, um, then it's like, well, like, like you said, Cheryl, like we're conditioned to just help. <clears throat> so it's and, hard and to say no. Not you know, only is it hard to say no, but then when you do say no, and now you're left with having to address yourself, what does that look like? Yeah. It's just such uncharted territory for the codependent. You know, what would I be doing if I wasn't cleaning your house or fixing your finances? Like, what would I be doing if I wasn't doing you? Yeah, but you know, that's, that's where that concept of the codependent not having their own self and not having self-esteem or self-worth or self-anything because they don't do themselves. They do others. Others. So does codependency and people pleasing, are they kind of like the same? Because, you know, I know for me, I struggle with, I, I struggle with both, but um, for me, it's not so much like I'm afraid of them yelling at me, which it depends on who I'm saying no to. Like if I say no to my father, I'm afraid of getting yelled at. But I think for me, I don't want to say no to people I like, you know, or a friend or whatever, even though I'm drained and I'm tired and I can't do it, but I'll say yes to do it. And then I find myself resenting that person. But um, is it, is it, a, is that being codependent or is it just being people pleasing? Cause I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose that person. If I say no, like I'm afraid that person is not going to like me anymore. Like if somebody says, uh, can you, can you come and help me? I can't do X, Y, and Z. And I really can't do X, Y, and Z either, but I'm going to do it because I don't want you to not like me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I, I'm not, I'm going to do it because you have to like me. I, well, I, and people I don't want- pleasing is a symptom of codependency. Oh, but everything you're saying, because codependents can have 50 other symptoms as well. Okay. People pleasing is, is just one of many. Yeah. But what you're doing is absolutely codependency because what you're teaching yourself in this situation is I'm not worthy. Like people yeah. won't like me for just me being me. They'll only mm. like me if I'm doing them favors mm. or letting them borrow money or, you know, or whatever it is, right? Solving mm-hmm. their problems. Like I have to earn their friendship. Earn and their so friendship that's why you're uncomfortable me. to say no, because yeah. they won't like me if I'm not doing things for them. Right. Wow. How's that and performance based living? Yeah. Cause it's, 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 to me, it's, I can't lose a friend. I mean, it's just, it's almost de- detrimental because, you know, but that's where I find my value. And that's what I'm working on now is that, my value is not in a person, but I've, I've always, you know, I've grown up that way where I find value with other people, you know, but they, that they, fear you have that yeah. someone won't be your friend if you're not doing things for them. Yeah. That's, that's a, 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 an unfounded fear. Think, think about if you're the one always doing something for them, right? So you're earning their friendship. Yeah. Well, and clearly they're not earning your friendship because they're not doing you favors. You're doing them favors. Mm-hmm. And you still like these people, even though they never do I shit do. for you. Right. Right. So right. how come you can like people, even though they never do anything, but yeah. no one would do that for you. Right. Like, how could that be true? Hmm. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. I just, yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's very true. It's like, I, I it's sort of an, I'm not somebody, worthy. Yeah. I'm not right, worthy. I'm not, I'm not worthy. Right. 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 Exactly. It. Yep. That's exactly. It. That's what I've been trained to believe my whole life. So, wow. 
And the narc is too worthy, right? The narcissist is too worthy. They don't have to do anything. It's like, mm. like I said, I'm just in the room. So you should be worshiping me just for that reason. <laughs> right? Yeah. So how would you help a person? How would you help a person um, get over it? Is it, is there a, a book to read? Is there something they need to chant every day for 30 days? You know what I mean? Like what would be the what would be the cure for a codependent? <laughs> what would be there sure is a million books on it. <laughs> mm. well, One Michelle, thing you I keep... like to practice. Mm. Um, actually, I'll tell you two things I did that really helped me. One thing that's a, a little bit easier to practice is whenever you speak and, and start paying attention and you'll see how you do it. Mm. You, you have to change every time every sentence you say where you're saying you, 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 you start mm. learning to say, I, I, me, me. Mm. Um, instead, of, in other words, stop speaking for other people and what they're going through. Mm. Start speaking for yourself. Like you made me feel uncomfortable. Should I just say, so I you feel know how you made this, you know, or, you know, how you go to the store and you think this No. Yeah. Do you know how I go to the store and I think this and I feel this and this happens to me. Mm. Like start bringing it back to yourself. In other words, speak for yourself. Don't speak mm -hmm. for others. Mm. That's, that's one way. Mm. Okay. What were you going to say, Stephanie? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I'm a big fan of just keeping things simple. Mm -hmm. And I think what Cheryl suggested is a great um, tip that that's mm -hmm. simple. And I would say what we were just talking about, you know, practice saying no in mm -hmm. ways that are authentic without having to make up a lie or having mm -hmm. to say yes, when you don't really, or let me, not that you don't want to, but you're just, you just can't really give any more. That's what a boundary is. It's a boundary is here's my limit. And if I cross that line and I give X, Y, and Z to you, then I'm going to have a, a, I'm going to be depleted. Hmm. You don't want to make others' lives better. And then your life is depleted. So hmm. when we give, we have to give according to what we have, not what we don't have. Hmm. Right. <laughs> I mean, imagine, imagine having, uh, imagine Stephanie wants to borrow money from me. If I have an extra account with money sitting there and she needs it, you know, great, right? Because I'm giving from a place of, of extra and abundance. But if, if she needs money to pay her rent because she's going to get evicted and I give her my rent money so she doesn't give, get evicted, but now I do, mm. and now I ruin my credit and I'm behind and I'm all, and I'm all messed up because I kept her from being messed up that's not how you give that's not how you help people mm -hmm. that's right yeah right and also just because a person has it also doesn't mean you're obligated to help someone just because well, you right have that's it. true yeah no I'm, I'm just saying you're absolutely yeah. right sure on what you said and it, it's just making me think um you know because we've been in situations where we've had it to give and still said no because there's that fine line between a caretaker and a caregiver. And, you know, I always ask myself, is that person able to do that for themselves? It, and then I say, is that their responsibility to do? If the answer is yes, then why are you asking me? If you are more than capable of doing it on your own, you just don't want to. Mm -hmm. Because then, right. um, then, then it's like we're care 
caretaking, we're taking that which isn't really our responsibility to solve. Uh, it's different when, let's say, someone truly has a need. Like, let's say, Cheryl, you know, I'll use your example. Uh, let's say you are a really hard worker and you, you lost your job for no fault of your own. And you come to me and you say, hey, Steph, do you think you can just spot me, you know, two months of rent and I'll pay you back when I get a job? And I know that you're good for your word. I know that you will do it and you're not taking advantage. It's just you hit a rough spot and you just need a little help. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I have it, uh, then I give it. But if you, um, you know, slack off at work and, you know, you got fired because, you know, you didn't show up on time and, you know, whatever the reason was, but it was because of your own doing, you lost your job, then, then maybe I would say, no, you know, this is, and I've borrowed money before and never paid you back then. Right. Right. Never. And and I have past experience showing that you know how to do things. Right. So then I might even, that's it. And so even though I have it, I may say, you know what, I think in this case, I don't want to enable you to continue in these bad patterns. So I'm going to say no, so that you might experience some pain and some discomfort with the hope that the pain and the discomfort will shape you up. Right. And I'm not saying you, I'm just saying, it, 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 you know, just in the hypothetical situation. Um, yeah. So. And it's also biblical too. I've, I'm trying to look for it in the Bible where it says, don't make other people comfortable if you, um, and uh, you know which one I'm talking about? Don't, yeah, don't, Paul don't. says that. I think it's in Galatians. Is uh, it? I, I can't okay, trying to look. That. Yeah. Give according yeah, to what you have. A common yeah. thing to say, don't make yourself uncomfortable in order to make others comfortable. It's it, in codependency. We say, don't set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Hmm. Amen. Second uh, Corinthians eight, 12. Oh, okay. Second Corinthians. That so was wrong. I thought it was Galatians. It's not second hmm. Corinthians eight, 12. Uh, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, mm. which that's mm. really interesting for a lot of religious people. They give because they're, they feel obligated out of religion when that's not what the Bible teaches. You know, whatever mm-hmm. you give is, whatever you give is acceptable mm. if you give anything. it eagerly. Right. It, your time, yourself, like, right. right. Mine says the NASB. Wait, uh, wait let me just finish the oh, verse. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. It says, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. That's the verse. Right. Yeah. My mine reads a little different because I was just I was checking out the NA NASB. Uh it says, for if the willingness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Amen. And it says, for this is not for the relief of others and for your hardship, but by the way of equality. That's interesting that he, you know, God's teaching us um not to be codependent. <laughs> so That's right. See. That's right. But Michelle, how many people in Christianity are codependent and they use right. the fact that they're Christian? Oh, we got to be Je- like Jesus. Yeah. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus was not codependent wow. with all due respect. Yeah. And yeah. <clears throat> um, I think a lot of Christians cover up their codependency and they use their faith as an excuse to continue to be codependent. Mm-hmm. And if they were to actually study the Bible, just like right. you're saying here in Second Corinthians yeah. 8, 12, the Bible teaches yeah. The complete opposite exactly don't make other people comfortable and it doesn't and it doesn't say money it's anything i don't know if it's in in catholicism more so than anywhere but 
I mean, I know my mother 100,000% believes that the more she sacrifices herself and the more she suffers and denies herself anything, it's like it's putting her, you know, at the front of the line at the pearly gates kind of thing. And it's right. and it's so horrible to watch. Yeah, the Jews Absolutely. Do that too. Yeah. That, that's a it's, perfect it's, example. Right. Yeah. The Jews do it also. It's the it's religion. It's it, that's it's religion. It, it's um you're right. I mean that that is so true. They they suffer. I, they that's what, yeah. I'm sorry, Michelle. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Go no, ahead. that's okay. No, 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 you go ahead. <laughs> that was um no, I, I was just gonna agree with you that uh, I remember growing up in a Catholic religious home. And I, I can't tell you how many times I used to hear the phrase, oh, you got to give the shirt off your back. Give the shirt off your back. I don't know if you guys ever <laughs> heard that growing up. I heard that all the time. Yeah. And it was this idea that, you know, you would go naked so another person can be clothed, you know? Yeah. It doesn't even make sense. You know, and, and, and again, it, it's not to say that there might not be times in life where um, it's, it's not appropriate to give a little more. And, you know, it means maybe instead of me eating lunch, I give my lunch to a homeless person and I can go one day without lunch. I mean, sure. that's fine. But again, as long the key is we have to check in with ourselves and say, can I give this up? If I'm a diabetic and I don't eat lunch and I go into a diabetic fit because I gave my lunch to a homeless person, that's not smart. But right. if I'm a healthy person and I can afford to miss a meal and I can give it and I give it eagerly, like we just read, I give it generously, like, oh, I'm happy to give this. And it's not going to, I'm not going to have hypoglycemia all day if I, you know, <laughs> and that's fine. N nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with but that. Then, but then the, the added thing there is to consistently check in with yourself. So maybe I give lunch today, but can I give it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day? No, there has to be a line before I start starving. Absolutely, Cheryl. That's right. Right. Because right. it's not this like cookie cutter answer. It's every moment checking in with ourselves, making the best possible decisions in every moment. Absolutely. So Cheryl, let's go back to what you were saying about the narcissist. So let's say someone gets really good at saying no to a narcissist in their life and they start holding the narcissist responsible for their actions. What can that person expect from the narcissist? Um, rage. <laughs> rage and then, and then a pity party. And then they might start to see, um, you know, they might not even see the narcissist do it for themselves. They might see the narcissist reach out to somebody else. Um, so the codependent has to be prepared for, I'm going to protect myself no matter what the other person does. But you, you normally get this, um, this, what's the word? Um, can't think of the word right now, but you normally get, it, it usually starts out with rage. Like who, who do you think you are for denying me what I deserve? Right. Then you'll probably get like the pity party. Like, Oh, no one does it like you. 
you know, I need you to do this. And, you know, so all, all the different tactics to like get you to cave in. But if you could just learn, teach yourself to stand strong through those things, and there's, there's ways of doing that. We're just not going to go into it here. But you might eventually find the narcissist not, not engaging with you anymore on the topic because they know they're not going to get the answer they want or the, or the right. You know, one of the important things to do is, is narcissists do like to poke and kind of enjoy your pain and, and push your buttons. So if you could learn to not allow them in and not even react to what, you know, their demands or their pokes or their jokes, um, when you don't react anymore, they kind of lay off because, you know, it, it's almost like you're no fun anymore, right? Like they, they don't get to abuse you. So they will lay off. Mm. But well, depending well, on so how true. they, you know, whether they find someone else to poke at or you've just got to say, as long as I'm protected, I don't care what they do. Well said. And that makes me think of the phrase, was it gray rock method mm -hmm. where but like you're saying, just show no emotion, no reaction, drain out all the emotion and just gray rock. You know, yep. if you have to give an answer, it's just a matter of fact answer devoid of all the emotion and the drama. Uh, Correct. And uh, I can say that I've tried that before with someone who I know is a narcissist and um, it works. But like you said, you got to stand strong through the, because they'll, they'll take you through the storm and you just, yeah. you just have to hold, hold the line and don't get triggered or pulled in. And, um, do you want to talk a little bit about discarding when the narcissist gets to a point where they discard you? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that part's no fun. It really, it really damages your, your self-worth, which, which you probably never had. And that's why you're with the narcissist. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's their cycle. They, they, they pull you in, they act the way you want them to act. You know, they charm you, they pull you in, they act all nice and, um, they even act loving and, kind of pretend to be an equal partner with you and then they just stop. And then what happens is when they discard you like that, what happens is as a codependent that kicks in your, 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 uh, what you would normally do. It kicks in your normal comfortable place of working hard to earn, earn the love and earn the, the approval. So that's how that cycle works. And so for them, discarding you is a way of, you know, showing that they don't need you because they, they already know you're going to do everything. I mean, they they literally put their feet up on the, you know, up on the table, kick back, open a beer and watch you dance for the rest of the, for, for the next three years or five years or 20 years mm. because they know you'll do it. Mm. Yeah. So when someone, when their partner has no limits and has, has no boundaries and, and just has no, you know, there's just no, no point 
there's nothing the narcissist can do that will make this person say enough is enough. I'm out of here. And, and that's their goal is to be with someone like that so that they can kick back and do absolutely nothing and watch you work hard Mm. because you are the one who is supposed to be working hard just to be in the presence of that narcissist. Who's wonderful. You sound like you have experience with this. Did you, were you in a relationship that was the, like this? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, Dr. Cheryl, Adam, what happens, you want to yeah. share a little bit about like, um, what happens when you leave, like what the aftermath looks like with when they try to come back. It's incredibly aggravating because you feel like, why the hell didn't you appreciate this when you had it? Um, so you go through this horrible roller coaster of emotions. And then the worst part is because you invested so much, and this is why codependents have to really work hard at investing in themselves and knowing their own boundaries and limits, because one of the reasons we stay is because we put so much damn effort into it in the first place. You know, it's almost like when you're gambling and you're, you're, you know, you're putting so much more money into that slot machine or on that card table, you know, you're too invested to walk away at that point, Mm. right? Because you're not giving what you could, what you could live without. You're giving what you don't even have. Mm. And that goes back to that, you know, don't give, um, don't give what you don't have, give, give out of a place of abundance. When you're giving from a place of depletion, you know, now you're taking out loans to give people money and now you're, you know, you're investing more than you even have in your, on your own plate. You don't want to walk away because there's too much riding on it. So you end up hurting yourself more and more and more just to stay afloat. And then this person discards you, then they come back around and you're like, okay, well, may as well give it a try again because I already invested five years into this or whatever it was or $5 million into this, <laughs> you know, whatever, right. whatever. Right. If it's like a business partner, business and you're the one who put all the money into the business and the other person didn't. Well, now you're the one who's going to want to keep it afloat. And the other person won't care about walking away from the business because they didn't put anything into it. Right. And then when they come back, Cheryl, right? Don't they come back promising the sun, the moon, and the stars? And they oh, just yeah. come across like so charming. And you're like, oh, well, maybe this time it'll work. Maybe, <laughs> right? And, the, and they all the promises in the world. Oh, one more try. I promise I'll do it. And, and especially if it's a relationship where maybe the person is in love, I could see how that could be really hard because then it's like, well, maybe they change. Maybe the time away from me was enough to get them to see the light. And then I yeah, can you're definitely- Yeah, you're gonna tell yourself all those lies because the alternative fact is too, too painful to, to bear. You know, who wants to say they never gave a shit in the first place? I mean, you'd rather think, ooh, maybe this time it, it'll work. And again, and, and like, I know for me towards the end there, the last time I went through this, because I went through it several times. Um, and that's 
that may be that may come from the fact that my father's a narcissist. So I, I know how to play the game with this person. So I ended up dating people like this. Um, I lose the game, but I know how to, you know, dance the dance until I lose. And the last time I did this, I, I remember saying to myself, I don't have time to start over. I was getting older. I wanted a baby. And all I could think about was I don't have time to start again and meet someone new. So I wanted mm. to keep, keep making mm. this happen, you know, keep making this work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it wasn't going to, but there was no way I just couldn't walk away. Couldn't. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. You know, how did you finally do it? How did you finally get the strength to do it? Well, I picked up and moved to California. And let me, let me tell the audience something when, because we do think that codependency is just how we behave with a narcissist or how we, be, how we relate to other people. But when you're a codependent, you, you behave codependently, whether you're alone, it doesn't matter. You're going to behave that way with your pet. You're going to behave that way with your plants. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're going to behave that way in whatever surrounding you're in until you work on it. So I used to think I could just leave that person. And if I'm alone, I won't do that. Doesn't, doesn't work that way. It is a change you have to work on. Right. It doesn't go away. Everyone you meet, if you don't work on it. Right. If you don't work on yourself and put yourself first, it it never will go away. And that's a really good point. Right. So it's because we talk a lot about relationships, parent, child, boyfriend, girlfriend, but even like in a work environment, like a person might be single and I, I could see what you're saying, Cheryl, they may think, oh, well, I don't have codependency because I'm single. Well, right. Yeah. But, you know, how are you with, you know, coworkers or bosses? Yeah. Can, bosses can, can try be... to take advantage of your time, you know? Right, right. You work late and, you know, because things need to be done or, or you, um, you cover for someone else who has to leave early and you just kind of take over everyone's extra stuff because you, because you think, I don't know, they're worthy of going to their appointments and you're not, or they're worthy of free time, but you're not. Um, You'll do it no matter where, what situation you're in. Very true. But the good news is when I, when I started to work on it, one thing I noticed is um, because a codependent definitely feels like there are narcs all around them. Everybody's a narc. Everyone I interact with is a narc. But the reason a codependent feels that way is because of how they're treating the way they relate to everybody. So when a codependent starts to learn to back off and not give, I mean, look, if you give and give and give and give and do and take care of you're going to start to feel like these people are taking advantage of you. But really, it's not them coming after you taking advantage of you. It's you giving more than you have. So when you learn to step back, and I noticed when I started practicing stepping back and just taking care of me, I no longer felt like everyone around me was a raging narcissist who was, who was abusing me. Yeah, I wonder, it's so, that's so interesting because I, I feel that way with my kids, but mostly my daughter. 
It's like, I feel like I give, give, give. And even though I'm exhausted and I can't give any more. And um, I ask her to do something for me and she doesn't do it. And, um, and I wind up getting so upset because I'm like, gosh, it's like, I, I would do anything for, for her. And I do, I do everything. And, I'm, and I don't wonder if that is, is that just me being codependent? Um, but I don't, I don't think she's a narcissist, but she does seem to expect things from me because she knows that I do it. So I'm really, yeah. I'm wondering if that's, now a, that's not being a narcissist. That's, that's right. natural. You know, that's healthy. If someone's always, mm. my mother is, is just mm. this natural, uh, mm. you know, cleans up after you and wants to wash your stuff. And I mean, I can't mm. stand it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but just because she's acting codependently with me, it doesn't mm. mean I'm a narcissist, oh, okay. but I also can't stop her from, <laughs> you know, from cleaning all day long. I mean, that's what she wants to do. Right. I mm. tell her to get off of me and don't touch my stuff, <laughs> but you know, yeah. Yeah, no, she, my daughter, I make her doctor's appointments. I go with her to the doctor still. She's 21. You know, I do things like that for her. Um, well, and that's that's an example of doing things for somebody yeah. that can totally do it for themselves. Oh, she could do right. it herself, yeah. She asks me to pick prescriptions up if she, you know, if if she can't, like, And if tired. you feel resentful. I do, sometimes know, I do. This person never does anything for me. Well, then you, it would be, the mm -hmm. onus would be on you to practice yeah. Yeah. Let's say she comes to you for something else. Oh, mom, mm -hmm. can you do this? Well, now it's up to you to have that conversation of, yeah. well, you know, here's how this is going to work. You know, since you yeah. need something from me, here's how this is going to go down. Yeah. I'll give you that, but then you have to do this other thing or whatever it is. You got to find oh, a yeah. compromise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but because those, those conversations are hard for codependents to have, that's why yeah. they just say yes and do it because it's easier than the conversation. Yeah, I did actually negotiating a deal. Well, I actually did. I, I did it to her. I said to her the other day, um, I'm trying to think of the exact thing, but um, I said to her, you're using me. <laughs> like I brought it to her attention. <laughs> I said, you're, you're using me. I was like, you know, I beg you <laughs> to come with me to the store. I'm like, let's go shopping or let's do this. And she says, no, but yet she wants me to go with her like a doctor and, and expects me to, get up, get dressed, you know, and, and go with her. And I'm like, you know, you're just using me. <laughs> it's so true. Cause I did, well, I got up, I got, I was tired. I need, I wanted to sleep and I wound up getting up and getting That's dressed. a perfect example, Michelle, of what we've it's been talking perfect about. Example. Yeah. yeah. Because you think of it like this, is it caretaking or caregiving? Caretaking is enablement, is enabling her. Can yeah. she do it? without you? If the answer is yes, and there's not a reasonable reason why she can't do it by herself, yeah. then she should be empowered to do it by herself. I know. I need to, I need to empower her. I need to just, and do by it. constantly jumping up and going when people, mm -hmm. you know, when people ask, you're teaching them that your yeah. time is not valuable and yep. that you don't have anything better to do, but, yep. but mm -hmm. wait for them to say, let's go somewhere. Yep, right. You've got to right. teach people that, Hey, I'm in the middle of something. And even if in the middle of something is a nap, I mean, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Right. Exactly what I was doing. It was early in the morning. I was exhausted. I was, it was awful. It was awful, but she did regret it because it was, a, it was, um, yeah, we wound up going to the doctor and we were waiting like three hours. <laughs> I was losing my mind. 
and she was embarrassed because I was kind of upset. But I was more upset at me for doing it. I should have just said no. <laughs> I would have stayed home. I wouldn't have had to wait around for three hours. So, yep. yeah, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start. Um, it's going to be hard because I, I have guilt. You know, I do it definitely, you know, as the mother. And it's like, off bit, I, I didn't go with her. What if something happens to her? How much, how guilty would I feel? You know, like that would be awful if something happened. And, and I was, I said, no. So that, that's what my issue is. It's, I have that fear. So you say, yes. And what if something happened to the both of you at the same time? Well, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if something, you wouldn't know. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I wouldn't know. Right. But, but I, then, but then when does that end? I mean, I right, know. exactly. When does that end? Because she's going to be 75 and you still need to go with her exactly. to the store because it might happen. Exactly. At some point, you know, you gotta, you gotta separate. And also I, I feel like I, I don't tr- like, for instance, she, okay. So I don't mind her going to like a, a store or whatever, if it's close, close to the house and stuff like, but if she has to go to like Boca by herself, that's where I'm kind of like, does she know how to get there? Oh my gosh, she's going to go on the highway. These are the things that I think of. Like, it depends. On, that's when it ends. It depends on what, where, <laughs> like, where is she going? So she can't plug into her GPS where she has yeah, to go? Yeah, I'm sure she can. But it's just my, it's my codependent. It's a codependent. Well, yeah, I'm just Well, that's saying, control. Like, you want, you want to control, control everything that you can't control. Yeah. Codependence, codependence is a control issue. There we go. So then I have that as well. I, you don't do. trust other people to. I don't trust other people. Exactly. Do it as well as you, or, or just yeah, I don't trust them. Yeah, and basically learning that it's 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 not that you have, you don't have to get other people to change. You have to change right. yourself. That's that's it, it Cheryl. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what I. That's feel, the right. trick. Right. That's, that's what I trick. feel like I learned. Right. You have to work. You got to stop you. trying to fix them and right. just work on you. Yeah. You know yeah. and. Yeah. And learn you know, to that, that no. makes me, th- yeah, yeah, that makes me think of a, this woman once I, I heard said this, she said, we get what we tolerate. Mm. Yeah. I just love that. That always stuck with yeah, me. She's like, you true. get what you tolerate. And that yeah. made so much sense to me. It's like, well, if I'm tolerating it, then it's yeah. really my, my issue. Right. It's like, right. yeah. Like no one else is going to change their behavior for something right. that you're putting up with. Right. Right. You have to yeah. say, you know, if, if, if I'm not comfortable with this, then what am I doing to, to, to stop this? And this mm. is where you start to learn that, you know, we're not victims, right. right? Like life doesn't happen to you. People aren't happening to you. It's we're allowing these things to happen to us mm-hmm. and you know, outside of a crime. Okay. But, you know, in general, when people feel like, oh, uh, oh, poor me. Everything happens to me. Like that victim mentality. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, the moment you realize you get what you tolerate and you start to say, I'm not going to tolerate mm-hmm. this anymore. I'm not going to be okay with this anymore. And then like Cheryl said, just start focusing on what changes, uh, you know, we as individuals can make rather than focusing externally on, you know, trying to change other people and and even when it comes to prayer right a lot of times people will say oh lord please change my wife so she's you know she doesn't Mm. do what she does or please change my child so my children don't ask me to do everything for them it's like well is that really like god's job to do that or is that our job to say uh no (laughs) you know um and we, you know, we can pray, Lord, give me the strength 
-hmm. give me the strength, Lord, to uh, honor my own needs and give me the strength, Lord, to say no when I need to say no and to rest when I need to rest and to give when I feel I can give mm -hmm. and, to, and, to, and to hold back when, when I need to hold back. I mean, that would be mm -hmm. a great prayer. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, this was very remember, good. Okay. Remember that when you put up a fence and of course your fence doesn't have to be a brick wall. Okay. It, you can allow things in and out, but you do have a line. And when you do put up that fence, it does change the position of where other people are allowed to stand with you. Mm. But yet you're not, you're not forcing them to do something they don't want to do. You're just putting up your boundary and that will automatically shift where people can be around you. Mm. That's right. Well, well there right. you go. Boom. With Mic that drop. With that said, <laughs> thank you guys. This was a great, thank you for joining us on this uh, episode of codependency. Um, join us on our next podcast. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of things lined up that are um, really good topics. So we look forward to you guys tuning in. So thank you for joining us this afternoon. Bye, I love thank it. you. Thank you all.